This episode of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, is brought to you by A Life of Education. Alifeofeducation.com is the UAE's only dedicated health and fitness educational website delivering health and fitness content to fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts from a variety of sections of the health and fitness world. Talks and lectures in areas of nutrition, anatomy, physiology, sports medicine, female development, yoga and pilates, strength and conditioning and more to be added in the future. Allo's mission is to bring the leading experts from around the world in the health and fitness together on one platform to share their knowledge and expertise on a global scale. Allo has talks on nutrition, for example, from uh, one of the UK's leading nutritionists, Ben Coomer, who runs a body type uh, nutrition, bodytypenutrition.com, bencoomer.com. That is a fantastic education course on nutrition from delivering all sorts of uh, tidbits of information from how to deal with females, aesthetics, how to lose weight, how to train, nutrition for athletes. Really worth checking out. Uh, you can get that on alifeofeducation.com in the upcoming months once uh, that website is launched. Um, but today's episode is with Alia Ahmed. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. She is a yoga teacher who takes uh, myself and a group of us through yoga, delivered in quite a non-conventional way. Um, we'll get to that in the podcast in just a few moments. She also talks a lot about her journey and sort of, she took a year off and decided she was gonna just travel, do some things that she's always wanted to do, get back out in nature, get reunited with her, uh, her sense of self, and all the fun stuff that comes along with that. So let's get on with it. Here is Alia Ahmed. Again, um, episode 15, and it's myself again and Matt. And we have Alia Al Ahmed. Is that right? Yeah, do I can I pronounce it properly? Um, so Alia and I do some training together, and we also she is my yoga teacher, practitioner, inspiration guru, guru spiritual connector. What else wow. are you called? Amazing, what else are you termed? A um, Facilita- facilitator of good times. Yeah, she connects my shamans. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you, where, where you're from, and all the fun stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Alia. I'm half Kuwaiti, half Armenian. I grew up in Switzerland, and I've basically been traveling and hopping around from different countries my whole life. Um, I did schooling in Canada. I did some more schooling in Scotland, and then I decided in the last four years that I wanted to settle down and I made to buy a home, just because I wanted to come back to the Middle East, be close to my family, my brother's here. So I've settled in Dubai, and I'm trying to call this place home. And um, yeah, so this is where I am now, after my whole life of moving around. And Yeah, we met, did we meet, a, was it a year ago? Is it last year? Me too now. Really? Yeah. Cool. Um, through a few mutual kind of friends, um, we're doing a little bit of work in the gym, and then I went along to your you had a session with one of our friends in his place. You remember Fuzz in his a house? Session? No, a yoga session. Convinced me to come along. Oh, that's right. Try it. Yeah, and we used to have we used to have in depth conversations about yoga. Um, <laughs> Debates. Yeah, I was gonna say I can't imagine being a conversation. I imagine Keith sitting there just All grilling you stuff. and giving his whole bro yoga thing. Yeah. No, that was that was when the idea was just a seed of an idea. That's right. Because um, you were the first of maybe three yoga teachers who, yes, we had the conversation, but you engaged with the idea yeah. um, and then my idea was from the, from the outset a long time ago 
was that there's lots of people out in the world who would love to try yoga because of the kind of physiological benefits of stretching and being supple and being kind of relaxing and switching off from uh, their nine to fives and traffic and their stress. But the stereotype that kind of the yoga has created is one that is a barrier for a lot of people where they just think, look, I, I don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. I'm going to presume that I'm going to go to a class, I'm going to be sort of uncomfortable, I won't know what to do, I'll be down the back falling all over the place, or I'll be, uh, um, they'll make me chant, or they'll make me whatever, you know, just because people have never done a class, they don't know what's involved. So I had this idea in my head, well, if we can strip it down, strip all that out, where we can just have all the yoga movements, all the series, and whatever the yoga teacher wants to do, like I don't know anything about it, I've never done it, so if somebody could take a group of white-collar, stiff, sort of, weekend warriors, mm -hmm. male and female, who need yoga, but they, they just never, don't have the courage and they don't have the interest to step and foot into that closed environment of a classroom or a session. But just take them through a class and let them leave and drive home feeling the benefits of it and think, right, that's something I could get into. That's, that wasn't enforced. There was no sort of uncomfortable um, language use or there was no like... Uh, the kind of example I'll give people is you know, like I was not told to connect my inner child and to the to Neptune kind of thing, which is what <laughs> is what to people the <laughs> yeah to the universe and the sun god and my whatever. Yeah. So we met. We mm -hmm. we eventually it took time. Yeah, I think you started to understand that I was in yoga, and then you found out that I was a yoga teacher, and then you started to come up with questions or your own kind of hesitations about yoga. Yeah. And then I started to try to convince him. Not forget it. And then it wasn't working. And then he started to talk to me in this way. And I think you had clients in mind. Yeah. So really strong, predominantly men, but also women, really strong people who are doing a lot of strength training, who are working really long hours, who need stretching. And a lot of yoga teachers don't like, you know, to put that box and call yoga stretching. But I understood what Keith was saying. Um, who needed that kind of intro class with very simple language. And I said, you know what? These, pe these people probably need yoga the most, and they're probably the most underserviced part of the community in, I'm going to say Dubai, but it could, it could be yeah. oh, for maybe sure. in the world. So that's why I was like, let's come up with a sequence that's comfortable for these people. I'll speak in a language where, you know, and he fine-tunes me all the time. He'll Not anymore. Me. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll even ask you for your feedback. Well, what is it fine tuning? Sometimes about? I'll say, bring your hands to heart center, and you'll come to me like, no, <coughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> center of the body, center of the chest, even. So, yeah, um, what does heart center mean for those who don't know what it means? So, you so, really, so if you were to tell them, bring your hands to heart center, so they come into prayer at the front of where your heart would be. So, the heart's on the left, but you're actually bringing the hands in prayer at the front of your chest because that's your heart center, that whole area. Yeah, so if you... Like no, 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 my, my point is, if you have... So now you've got a thing where there's like a, a guy down the back who's like, mm. what, what, what the F is heart centered? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, like, why am I going hard? Well, let me just say, put my hands in the middle. Or, right. um, you used to say one thing which used to make me laugh, find stillness. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to think, I found it. <laughs> no, you know, what's, what's so great about this collaboration <laughs> is that I've now learned about the language and I've now become so in tune to certain things that I say or certain things that teachers say in yoga classes that I never really was in tune to before. Because finding stillness or heart center is just kind of common language. Yeah. But Keith may be so aware of it now that's like, why do we say these things? Where do they belong in the yoga kind of... But to your, to, to your credit on mm -hmm. that, what you said back to me was, why do you call it a plank? Why do you call it a mountain climber? That's, right. that's just a name. I was like, right. yeah, you know, absolutely, a fair point. That is just a name. I don't know why this gym movement is called it, whatever, a plank or a mountain climber. But there's a few things that I would pick up on in the, in the first few sessions where it would be a case of, okay, turn your feet a certain way to protect your knees. Yeah. And my cynical anatomical thing would be like, meh. Yeah. That's all right. We can, have, we can play around with this. But... No big deal. That's not a major player. So we would have those kind of conversations. And that was where I was asking, like, why, would you, why are you saying that? Like, and what are you taught? Right. Because I'm just a real stickler for that kind of stuff. Yeah, and fair enough. It really made me kind of dissect all the kind of terms. Because heart center, as we started to talk about it, is actually a cue. 
But if you don't know what that means and you have no clue what chakras are and what your heart center is, and I tell you to do that, the cue makes no sense to you. It makes sense to me because I've had that kind of education or I'm used to that kind of environment. But Keith made me aware of that stuff. Mm. Um, also, finding stillness is just like, it's another way to command the body in a softer kind of tone. Yeah. But again, if you're not used to this kind of language, you're just going to laugh in class, which, by the way, is totally cool. Laughing, crying, screaming, moaning, deep breathing, all kind of noises are welcome in yoga, which, again, can be very intimidating or very confusing or very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah. They come into a yoga class and they hear all these like deep sounds or deep breathing. They don't like that. Yeah. Right? So in yoga, we don't do any kind of crazy breath work or alming or chant and none of that. Stretch. Because I understand. Yeah. It's intro level to everything. I, I completely disagree <clears throat> with Keith on this. I think oh, it's a way of like. Oh, this, really? Well, what you're saying is basically analogous to going to a sushi restaurant being like, uh, well, I'm not too sure about all this raw fish stuff. So we're going to strip mm-hmm. it right back and we're just going to eat rice. Like, okay, you can do that, but now you're not at a sushi restaurant, you're not eating sushi. Mm. Um, but the, the point is, and this, it, we all have that just from coaching or teaching anything in general, is how are you relating the information? I think that's, like you said, is a problem with yoga, yeah. is in the sense that it obviously came from this background in kind of Buddhism and Hinduism and all the rest of it through India and wherever yeah. else. And there's obviously like a great significance and meaning to it. But yeah. obviously now it's been sold as kind of a business for mass consumption, in which case it's always going to become diluted because you're going to have to have people teaching other people who will then teach other people who will then teach other people and so on and so forth. So it's it's like this great Chinese whisper, you know, where everybody slightly changes it, uses different terms, and then they don't know why they're using the terms that they're using. And that's exactly the same in strength and conditioning and PT and physiology is also. I can imagine. So just on that, like the, the sushi thing, um, what I wanted mm-hmm. was to get people who may like rice, is your analogy, but may not eat fish. Mm-hmm. But if they know that there's rice and some veg, they'll go into the restaurants. Right. And now they're in the environment. They'll get to see what a sushi is all about. Oh, it's only a little small bit of fish. Oh, maybe I can have tuna because I actually do like tuna. I don't like fish. I don't like what do they call those poisonous Japanese blowfish things. I don't want any of that stuff. But oh, you can actually get tuna. So yeah, I could do this. And now they know what that one little tuna place is like. Right. So now they're in the environment. And they, get a, they leave, they go, that wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. But are you doing that in your class, though? Like, are you implementing little yogury sayings? And then there is some. There, well, all the movements. class. Yeah, all the movements. Like, we did a little time lapse. Mm-hmm. It's on the social media. It's on Instagram. There's a bro yoga underscore DXP. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> um, where it's just a time lapse. So looking at it, it's a full yoga class. Yeah. But the way it's delivered is the difference. Yeah. But the, the idea is that now, for me, if people can come in the door, feel comfortable spending 60 minutes doing this, leave feeling, oh, that was good, okay, I can go back to that. That's the first job. I could go back to that. That's when they do. They come back again and again and again, and now they get more proficient. And now, if their girlfriend or someone at work is having a charity, which we did, a charity yoga session, they're not so intimidated. They're not like, no way, I'm never doing it. Or if their girlfriends are like, come to this yoga session with me, do you know what? I can actually do a couple of the yoga moves. I know half of what this class is going to be about. I'll go to that one down the road in the corner of that place. And now they get exposed to someone who's going to be a little bit more yogi over the top, whatever. But it might not be so bad, but at least they went. Yeah. And now that might open the door going, look, there's a, a free spot on this yoga retreat to India next week. It's free. Do you want to go? Well, I've done a bit of yoga with the lads down in the park. Why not? Let me go. Now they go. And now they are tasting your full sushi restaurant of all your, right. your Japanese blow fish or whatever so that's what I was trying to get is to create a gateway to create an entry point for people that would never in their wildest dreams consider because you know one of the one of the rugby boys that you trained um, privately he put it to me he's like he didn't want to do a class where he wouldn't be very good at it right. and I never looked at it that way I never even looked at like this sort of that ego side of us for, yeah. for where you don't want to be in the back as the guy strong guy but you can't stand or you can't balance yeah um, so he was happy to come on board with us and join him when we first started and do the basics. Yeah. And then he, he did some private sessions with you. Yeah, he did. Um, and he actually really enjoyed it. 
And he found that, like, because he does a lot of rugby, he found, like, the twists and some of the stretching was actually helping him with his rugby training and his running. Um, so you can see the benefits of yoga, like, instantaneously. The thing is, I only have one hour with these people. And most of these people are, again, like, you have to cultivate that trust. They don't know what to expect. They're a bit nervous. They're a bit intimidated. So I have an hour to give them something that makes them feel good. Mm. So I like to break down a session into thirds. No matter what I'm doing, even if it's a beginner's class or an advanced class. So a third of the class should be like easy and like, okay, cool, I'm comfortable in my body. A third of it is like, I'm challenged, I'm getting like, quote unquote, a workout. Or I'm moving a little bit, this is a bit challenging, but I can still do it. And a third will be like, whoa, this is intense. Okay, my ego is now getting a bit of a whooping, but this is where I'd like to go and it's still something I can achieve. I'm not giving them anything that's so far-fetched. And I like to keep a class you know, within that range. But at the same time, I have to be kind of educational. I need to explain to people why they're doing what they're doing, especially in yoga and especially with these kinds of people. Because if I get them doing all kinds of weird mo movements, mm. all kind of contortionist-looking things, or I'm getting them to sit still, which to them might seem like meditation, a lot of people don't like that. It can be very intimidating for someone to sit still for five minutes if they never sat still in their lives. Yeah. So I have to explain to them why they're doing that, what the purpose is, um, and how this kind of benefits your practice, or it'll benefit the hour. So there's a lot going on in that hour, and like Keith's saying, so my language changes, but the yoga kind of structure is still the same. So our meditation might not be 15 minutes of like visualizations or chakra discussions or whatever, what have you. What would be in a normal... Full-blown full yoga. I mean, What's it the most extreme me and Matt you can find ourselves in? <laughs> you'll arm at the beginning or you'll arm at the end of class. And that's an amazing way to start a session and to seal a practice. You can do some amazing breath work, which I know you did and didn't enjoy. But you weren't expecting I laughed. I laughed my head off. So we did a, I did a right. session with a couple of my clients. <clears throat> Um, alternate nostril breathing. Yeah, and the woman... Which I love, but people, you know... The woman, uh, the teacher, was like, okay, you need to put your fingers a certain way. I didn't know what she was talking about. I'd never done this before. So every, I could see other people in the class struggling to figure out where the fingers were going. Yeah. And then she did this big elaborate arm up in the air and hand over. Kind of, she kind of clasped her nose between her middle knuckles. Is that right? Like this way? So it's... <clears throat> what is it? No, it's this. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. So, so, index, and, yeah. so thumb and pinky? So index and middle finger are down. Yeah. And it's your thumb and your ring finger that oh. you're using to close the nose. So then you put them either side of your so, nostril and you do you do one nostril at a time. Right. But she did so for like the four or five seconds where she was doing this, I was like, what is she talking about? I could see a couple of girls as well, sort of like they're trying to do you know, like the Spock finger. <laughs> they were trying to do that kind of thing. So I was like, What's happening? And then she put her finger on her nose and she went <laughs> and she took this huge yeah. inhalation and I had my hand by my nose and I burst out laughing. Oh my god. And I had to like and then after the thing, there was a, a photographer in the round in the session. Mm -hmm. There's a split second photograph where I'm laughing, and one of the girls who I happen to know is just staring at me, giving me the most evil eyes across the map. Yeah, but she did that nostril thing, and I mean, I think that's the kind of thing where you're not gonna maybe buy it, or not buy it if you're not gonna get it first time. That's the thing. Keep going, so, keep going, keep going, and then you get to feel the benefit of whatever's happening. I could probably bring that breathing exercise into a pro yoga class. I would do maybe half the amount of time that you guys did, and I would explain to you why you're doing it. Mm. Because we do breathe, during the day, you breathe slightly more from one nostril than the other, or you might be congested, and if you take time to notice, you'll notice you're breathing from one side more than the other. We do this simple exercise, and I wouldn't, you know, like encourage loud noises or anything like that. Obviously, if they come, great, but it wouldn't be this elaborate kind of setup. And you would just start doing it and figuring out your breathing and kind of tuning into like what's going on with your body. And I'll tell you to release your hands and just check out what's going on in your nose. Like, oh, actually, my right side and my left side are kind of equalized now. And then we practice. It'll take three minutes of your time, and it's very simple. So again, the yoga structure is the same, but the delivery yeah. is different. And I'm not just coming into it um, you know, shocking you, which is what Keith has made me aware of now. I'm not aware of these things as much because I'm used to it. So if I go to a class and we're doing alternate nostril breathing, I know what's coming and I love it. Would you say you've got huh? gratitude for it? <laughs> I'm very grateful for alternate nostril. Tell that gratitude nostril. story without saying any names. <laughs> so, 
Keith has gone to a class where sometimes you'll have a theme in a yoga class, um, and that particular theme was to release the ego. Hmm. And this particular teacher kept repeating it and repeated it in such a way that was kind of maybe some people might have said was a little bit aggressive because he was coming out really loud and he was kind of... You're talking about the session I went to? Yeah. Yeah, so the session I went to was my only real mainstream, like in off the street, first session free in a yoga studio. And she kept talking about ego. Leave your ego at the door. We're all so egoless. Ego, ego, ego. And I felt like she had an ego about not having an ego. Mm-hmm. And I could, and this is what you, I told you after, remember, because you put it in that frame for me, and that was exactly what I felt like. I'm mm-hmm. like, why can't I have a little ego about this? Like, why aren't I allowed to enjoy the fact that two weeks ago I couldn't do this move, and now I can? Like, That's she's, not what ego is about. Him and I had a long debate about ego yeah, as well, yeah. too. But I, I, get, I get the destruction nature of ego yeah. from a holistic <clears> perspective. <throat> I get it. But, like... She's making me like, oh, I'm not that good. I'm yoga. That was like my fifth session. I was like, what? What? What's the big deal? Why do I not need any yoga? To, what uh, ego attachment to this? Why can't I just go? Yeah, I'm getting better. Yeah, yeah. That's where we would agree, and I would agree with that as well. Um, and there's a there's a lot of things where you catch yourself in a double bind like that. Like I mean, that that goes again to coaching and to PT and the whole idea of self improvement and things like that where okay, I, I'm struggling to not have an ego. And then, like you say, you end up having an ego about your ability to not have an ego. Mm-hmm. And then like, there's other things in sort of Buddhism as well where they sort of catch each other out where it's like, well, I, I don't want to desire. And so now I'm desiring not to desire. Mm-hmm. And so you're constantly caught in this double bind with everything that you do and self-improvement. I'm trying to improve myself. The thing that needs improving is the thing that's trying to do the improving. So how can I ever improve myself if I myself need improving? Right. Do you know what I mean? So there's always spirals, but then that's... That's a whole brain, other right? philosophical debate. But the point, oh, yeah, we can do right? that. Then, <laughs> but the point of like with, in the yoga thing is that you might not be able to deconstruct or calm the ego down in that session, but the idea is that you start to learn about it a little, a little bit, yeah. observe it, and get in tune with it. And the yoga practice is not about getting better at a headstand or splits or handstands, like you're seeing on social media, which we're all kind of, you know, yeah. there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on about, okay, let's get to the next step, or let's um, get better at certain poses. Yeah. Yoga is not, that's not really the essence of what the yoga practice is about. Sure. The physical practice of, of yoga is actually just one of many other dimensions of the full package of yoga. Seven yeah. arms, is it? There are eight, eight limbs. Oh, eight limbs. We're close. Ashtanga yoga practice. But anyway, we're getting, we're getting deep into it. So for this, again, like we talk about this, Keith and I talk about this a lot, that you can have a yoga teacher that you're so connected to and you learn mm. so much from, and then anyone, me included, you can go to another class and just you didn't feel connected to that person. Same with my students. Some people might love the way I deliver my, my classes, and some people might not connect with me. Like in a gym class, I might yeah. you know yeah. connect with Keith, but I might not connect with Steve. You mm. know what I mean? So it's the same thing. So in that particular class, Keith wasn't getting, and it's not Keith's fault or the teacher's fault or anything, but it just didn't, Resonate with him. I'll tell you when she lost me. When she, about 10 minutes in, she goes, okay, now have five minutes freestyle. (laughs) Yes. What? I just just stood, yeah, maybe I went to the wrong path. You just I just stood there going, I don't have a freestyle. (laughs) I need to be told what to do. Yeah, so I I did. I I did just sort of leaned over, did some sort of weird hamstring stretch and just stayed. And there's a guy in leather pants or some sort of shiny pants doing like real heavy breathing. And then, he may not have been doing a headstand then, but he was breathing, like, dominating the room. But yeah. Just... Ocean's breath, which is the most amazing breathing. He was having the best time ever, ever, but I was still there going, but if you don't know what's how going long on, is this, five minutes? Yeah, it's too much if you don't know what's going on. I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't told yeah. in advance because the person I went with didn't know that that was going to happen either. Yeah. So we didn't know that there was this five minutes of freestyle. But uh, you went with the gratitude. Yeah. So... He told me about this experience, and I went to a class downtown, different place. I didn't know it was going to be the same teacher, and the same thing kind of happened. The thing is, the more you practice yoga, at least in my experience, the more receptive I am to things. When I was kind of just starting off, I was looking for a a yoga class that would um, give me a workout, or increase my my flexibility, Mm. or help me with my headstand, whatever. But now the more kind of that I practice, and the more kind of teacher trainings I've done, 
the more receptive I am to the lessons that are given to me in each and every class. Yeah. So I'm really receptive to these things. But this particular class was similar to Keith's ego experience, mm. but it was about gratitude. So in everything we're doing, we're doing like, so we call them heart openers. It's really like just opening the chest, doing back bend, um, increasing flexibility in the front of the body. But every time we kind of puffed up the chest, she was in a high-pitched voice kind of talking about gratitude and love. And again, I'm usually really receptive to this stuff. And yeah, yeah. I kind of bring it on even if it's not delivered in a way that I'm used to or whatever, I, I take it on. I might not have 10 years ago, but I do now. But Keith's voice was in my head the whole nine minutes. But <laughs> I came to him the next day or the next week or whatever, and I was like, Keith, you've officially ruined your yeah. life for me. Destroyed <laughs> no, my life's I'm work. Kidding. But like, I've become now really aware of these things. And I had a friend with me who has his own yoga practice. He, um, in the body, he's really advanced. Like, he's flexible and strong. But he's not used to this stuff, and he survived it. There was a point where he was kind of like, whoa. He, you know, his facial expression gave me a signal that was like, whoa. But he survived it. He's more receptive than I think of Keith came to me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm just becoming more aware of, like, how these things can put someone in an uncomfortable place or shut them off. Yeah. Not just anyone. They can shut off, like, an entry-level entry person. Yeah, and imagine, imagine yeah. you actually have a guy went, or, or girl went to work the next day. <clears throat> yeah. And anybody on the fence about yoga heard that story. They'd be like, I'm never going again. I'm out. I'm never going again. Yeah. That's I'm meeting these kinds of people all the time. They're always like, I'm scared to come to yoga. I'm not flexible. Or are you going to chant? And I always tell them about pro yoga. I mean, I have a few colleagues now. Yeah. But I think that's where, that's that's almost like a, an inbuilt thing where you just, you know it's not sincere and genuine. And so my, my point was with the whole desire and not the desire thing is that eventually you, if you keep playing that around with your head, yeah. eventually you, you just get exhausted and then you just kind of let go and now you're just doing yoga for doing yoga I'm lifting weights just because I want to lift, lift weights there's no expectation and you sort of and there you're yeah. suddenly released from it right so then when you if you're then I guess the difference between say like a really great coach or teacher versus a, a bad one is that they're not necessarily going to force all of those things on you right. you're just going to simply go through it and they'll take you through it and then ultimately there'll be some realisation at the end right because yeah. you're not doing it to because I'm a yoga teacher and where this is yoga and this is all the names of yoga and I'm a really great yoga teacher because I know all the names. Do you know, right. like, uh, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I said, it's just to be kind of aware of why you're doing what you're doing, to be aware if the ego does come up. I often tell students, if your face is all scrunched up and you're not breathing, you have yeah. this really intense face, you've gone too far. Mm. And I say to people, you don't use your body to get into the pose. So the pose is not the end goal. You use the pose to get into your body. You might need a second to like think about what that means, but it's basically, there might be a pose called frog or pigeon, and everyone sees what it looks like because I'm demonstrating it. So they're trying to use their body to get into it. But in actuality, it's like, if you're already feeling the stretch in that part of the body, you're working on the hips, you're feeling the opening, that's where you are today. If you're going deeper where there's pain, and your face is all scrunched up and you're panting, you've gone too far. Your body is not yeah. going to reap the benefits necessarily so again and I'll cue in like stay on your mat don't worry about the, what the person is doing next to you don't worry about getting into the full pose again this is all kind of tied into ego I want to get there I want to accomplish this pose when actually it's about feeling the kind of freedom or, or mobility that that pose gives you in that moment for sure or that kind of sensation of a stretch that can feel really good if you're calm yeah so that's the whole point of that ego thing also there's a practice of ego and yoga which now, again, is a little bit more philosophical, but sometimes those practices come on the mat. The teacher will cue that in. Same thing with the heart center. Same thing with different locks, bandhas, chakras, like all these things. If you don't know what they're talking about, it kind of is like, too much to handle, but that stuff comes in um, in a yoga class just so you tune in to the reason why you're doing your practice. Yeah. And then you kind of take on these lessons off the mat. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like we, this is exactly what we try and do in like PT and strength training and stuff. So you'll see like a newbie PT will come out. And funny enough, I, I made this point at a course I was at uh, two weeks ago where you, you see these brand new PTs and they've been given all of this information and all of these different cues on how to teach a squat and how to teach a chest press. Yeah. And then you watch them go out for the first time and they're doing their assessments. And it's just this mass regurgitation like... They're there forcing people into these different movements right. and they're saying, okay, this is going to do this, it's going to do that, it's going to do that. And at no point has the person ever just experienced the lift or the thing that they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, 
and this is something that we try and do in our semi-private classes in the sense where you're not necessarily there to come to lift weights. You're there to interact with a group of people mm-hmm. and you're all exercising at the same time. Yeah. And I think where, where it gets to the point where you have a really good group, you almost you come to see the people now as opposed to the exercise itself. Like the exercise is almost just something that you're just doing there. Yeah. But through that, then you're not thinking about it and you're not stressing about it and you're doing it because it's just fun to do and you're having a good time. And then people start to see the results because they're so consistent mm-hmm. and they're doing all these weird movements and we're having a giggle and a laugh, like playing around with it. And then they start to see the results and they're like, oh, wow, well, what just happened? It's like, well, because you've been progressing. You've been giving this guy shit and he's now sort of trying to up himself to match you and the whole thing is just fun. Yeah. You know? So at no point have we had to have any discussion about training or about, oh, well, you need to lift this much or we need to sort of do all of these different things so you can progress as so you can be better and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It just happened of its own accord, you know, yeah. completely natural. And I think what you, you said something that's key is that to experience the exercise, mm. a lot of people forget that they can experience certain subtleties in the body, like the breath. Yeah. Again, a lot of people are nervous about talking about breath work and yoga. I don't want to sit there and be in tune with my breath. There's just too much work. It's like, you know, meditation can be really intimidating. But when you start to tune into subtleties, subtle muscles, mm. I'm in a really passive pose. I'm stretching. Why is my core switched on? Why is my jaw clenched? When I start to cue this stuff in and I'm like, relax your face, relax your core. I'm like, yeah, why is this stuff switched on? You'll be surprised. That practice of cultivating that connection to your mind, body, and breath. So the connection of mind, body, and breath, and body. Sorry, I'm repeating myself. Mind, body, and breath, yeah. Um, You'll be surprised how that can play a role in your life off the mat. You start to like, when you're having an anxious, when you're feeling a little bit of an anxiety, you can't sleep, um, you're stressed out, or you're exercising, you'll start to notice certain things about your being, about Mm. your body, that you'll manage to now control and switch off or switch on. Uh, you know, like, yeah. so I always say yoga gets you so in tune with yourself. And I don't just mean heart chakra self. I mean, like, physically, yeah. you know, physically, emotionally, mentally. And you start to, like, manage to control and command subtle things in the body that you didn't even know were there, or you weren't even aware of. So that's something about the yoga practice that I really love. And I try to bring that into the pro yoga stuff Yeah, like, like, as well. One thing to be clear, I don't, I have no problem with the yoga people connecting to the heart chakra center mm. and all that stuff. Like that's... No, I know. Like at no point are you getting yogis going in committing mass murders. Right. You know, like yoga is beneficial. And if you want to go down that far, absolutely go that far. Because it's only a beneficial thing and it's making people happier and more connected and at one with all the sort of positive things in the world. Um, what we were just trying to create is just that gateway to that. So what the, the best thing would be out of all of this is for somebody to come in off the street stiff as a plank, go all the way through our stuff, end up in another country, join up a yoga place back in LA where they're really in-depth to it and just keep going, mm-hmm. you know, because that's... The, and just keep up the beneficial practice of the what you said, like connecting with their body. And then if they want to go to the spiritual side, go for it. Mm-hmm. All out... Off you go. Um, talk a little bit. So you took a year off from work last year. We'll just shift gears a little bit. You took a little. You took a year off work. Yeah. And you went through what it seems like all around the world, hiking and kiteboarding and yeah. windsurfing. So t- tell us a little bit about that. What what that was about? Like where the motivation was behind that, and what you ended up doing, and how you feel as a result of it. Should there be anybody in the world right now listening here who's thinking about just throwing their mouse at their computer screen and quitting for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, Okay, so it started because I was really in this kind of routine space and for my whole life I've been really kind of cognitive, really in the brain. So all my work has been behind a laptop, uh, research, I've been going to school, I did my undergrad. What's your 9 to 5? So I work at the Sustainable City now in Dubai. Um, it's next to Arabian Ranches. Um, I work as an environmental consultant. Um, I specialize in education, so I'm helping to set up the school there. Um, and it's an amazing project, and I'm so happy to find a project like that because my field is education and environment, and I found a place where I can do both. So it's really amazing. But 
yeah, to just kind of rewind a little bit, I've just really been in my brain, in my head, for a really long time, doing my undergrad, and then I did my master's, I did all this work in the middle, you know, always concerned about my CV, getting recommendations for schools, always trying to find the next job so that, you know, my CV didn't look like I had this crazy gap in the middle. But I've always really craved a gap year to kind of give space to things that I really wanted to do or wanted to explore, but I never had time. And when I came to Dubai and I found this amazing opportunity with the Sustainable City, I stayed there for a few years before I decided that, okay, you know what, I need, I need to do this. There was a part of my being as well that was kind of like, I need to give space to live in my body. I can't explain it. It was kind of an, a sense of finding a holistic way to approach my own well-being, if you will. Um, so yeah, you can go to the gym every day and eat well and then have a job, but I needed something more. Um, and I wanted to put myself in challenging experiences. I wanted to grow. There was kind of this space of I wanted, I was craving a different type of growth that was not to do with work. And I was going really strong with my yoga, really strong. So I was really nervous to take time off from work because I had this amazing um, opportunity. So I started off by just asking for some part-time part hours where I was working half the time and then I was doing what I loved most. Well, I can't say that's what I love most, but what I really enjoyed doing in my body. So that's like yoga, kite surfing, handstand workshops, hiking, all kinds of stuff, and being in nature. There was something about my being that was suffering so much because I felt like I wasn't breathing. Something about breathing in Dubai, it's like it's mm. not, I'm not being able to breathe in Dubai. And I wasn't in nature, and I grew up always being surrounded by nature and not even being aware that I'm in the mountains or whatever. So I needed to find things that were getting me in nature, that was, I was active in my body, and I needed to give space to that stuff without sacrificing my career. But then I came to a place that I, I needed more, and um, there were some things going on with work that allowed me to take last year off. It just kind of aligned itself. So it started off with me taking three months because I really wanted to do a yoga teacher training. I was at a place where I was already teaching, um, and I wanted to be certified. I wanted to learn more about the body. I wanted to understand what I was teaching. I wanted to get better at teaching. When I love something so much, I always have a place, there's always a part of my being that wants to share, which is also why I'm in the world of education. And I really wanted to do this, not only for myself, but for others. So I took some time off to do the yoga teacher training, and I loved it so much that I ended up doing three in one year. Um, Where was this? So my first teacher training was in Thailand. I did another one that was here, and I did another one in Bali. The one in Bali was, it's called Acro Vinyasa. So it's acrobatic yoga, and that practice is, so it's kind of the same philosophy of yoga, but it's partner, partner work. Mm. So it's community. So yoga is really about kind of individual, um, it's an individual experience. Um, well, yes and no, but it's really like you're on your mat. But acro yoga is you're sharing within a community and you're sharing it with a partner, and there's something really beautiful about that practice. And so I did the teacher training for that as well. And again, it was being in the body, being super challenged, super challenged emotionally as well. I mean, I remember by day three, I needed an emotional child's pose. Remember what that is, Keith? <laughs> After all these classes, you don't know what a child's pose is? Uh, yes, you do. There's the one on facing down with your knees spread apart, and then there's the one on your back with your feet up in the air. So that's happy baby. Close. Nailed. So it's a restful, it's a restful pose. Yeah. It's a pose of rest. But anyway, all these kind of experiences were just really, um, they were, it, was, it was a place for me to learn a lot. It was a place for me to get really challenged. And for me, I just felt like I was, I use this word lightly, but I feel like I was getting a bit stunted in mm. my routine, getting stuck here. So yeah, if there's anyone that feels like they need something um, new in their life or they're feeling a bit like they're plateauing, absolutely, you know, dive into things that scare you the most. And some of these things I knew were going to be scary and were going to be really challenging, but that's exactly why I went head on and did them. Um, so you did three months of the yoga thing? So I did three months of the first yoga teacher training, I did three yoga teacher trainings, and then there were like lots of experiences I just wanted to do. I wanted to be in nature for one month. Mm. So I went with a friend, we went to uh, New Zealand, we did some hikes in Tasmania just before going to New Zealand, lived in a camper van, disconnected from everything. Okay, I uploaded a photo here and then on Instagram. Sure. But other than that, like, 
My phone didn't have Wi-Fi for most of the day. Yeah. And I was just hiking all day, living in my body, you know, living with one or two people and not, like, connected. And it was just amazing. I mean, of course, I was sore and tired and filthy. I mean, there were some days we didn't have a shower, you know, but these experiences were just really amazing. And sometimes, same thing, same concept with the whole yoga thing. Sometimes you're climbing a mountain, you're hiking up a mountain, you're summiting, but you're also kind of summiting an internal challenge. Just when you think you can't get up there and you're exhausted, your muscles are burnt out, you're ex like, your foot can't take one more step. You get up there, it's all in the mind, right? Mm. Then you come down, you have this immense sense of accomplishment. And of course you have happy hormones going, yeah, yeah. so you just feel really good. Um, so I did a few trips where it was just hiking. I did this amazing one also over the summer in Banff in Canada, where we visited some national parks. And my favorite color is blue. There's something about um, a light blue that just kind of calms me down. And there are these alpine lakes in Canada that are very special blue, blues I've never seen in my life. And we were on a mission to get to these lakes. And you have mediocre hikes around them or you have really tough, strenuous hikes. And of course, we did all of the above. And um, it was just, just spectacular kind of experiences. Again, we were, we were just four girls um, in a hostel, really kind of minimal stuff, backpacking, nothing crazy. So just releasing, you know, things that you don't need. You know, when you go all these experiences, you realize that you actually don't need a lot of stuff. Same thing with my yoga teacher training um, experiences. I mean, I went to Thailand for like two months with a really small bag, yoga clothes, two bikinis, two flip-flops, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And my bathroom and my shower, like, th there's only one floor and everything's kind of combined, so it's really like, yeah. you know, it's, you're on a budget, like, it's a budgeted place, and you really don't need much, and you're not, like, in this luxurious space, and, you know, you're just living kind of on the necessity on what you really need. Um, and you kind of disconnect and release stuff that you don't need, which I think is super key for anyone getting stuck into this cycle of, I don't know, needing new things or buying new things or, um, you know, the trends of yoga, needing the latest Lululemon leggings or whatever. You know, we all get sucked into these kind of cycles, I guess. But it's so, it's so important and so amazing to just kind of let all that stuff go. And then you really come in tune with yourself and what you truly need to lead an amazing day, you yeah. know, or lead an amazing month. So I did a lot of cool trips like that, but then I also was doing some kite surfing stuff. So for me, kite surfing is the ultimate meditation. Um, so when I want to get into my body and internal kind of work, it's the yoga, but when I want that external kind of somatic living, so living in that body but being quiet and just going and having that kind of freedom, it's my kite surfing. Mm. And I found, well, me and my friend who lives in Qatar, who's as obsessed with the sport as I am, we found some of the most exotic and kind of untouched places in the world to go kite surfing. And it was just phenomenal. I mean, we went to this place in the Philippines. It took me two days to get there. Sorry, <clears throat> two days to get there, internal flights, boat trips, um, bus rides. And we finally got to this island where they had seven huts self-sustaining, so they had their own electricity from solar panels, there was no hot water, they would catch the fish, and there's like maximum 12 people living on this place, just to kite surf. I mean, it was incredible. Again, some days what we were What was it called? What was the place? The place was called Bamboo Island. It's a place who, it's, it's, a, it's an island that a person has actually bought and just created. Um, That's cool. A space that you can rent, and so this kiteboarding community has rented it out, and they're called 250K, I believe, or 250 kiteboarding. You can look them up. Um, so they rented it out for the month that we were there. We were there for like 10 days. So we did stuff like that also during you know the year that I took off. So I did um, Mauritius, I went to the Philippines, I just came back from Switzerland for kite surfing, this phenomenal blue lake again in the middle of nowhere in Switzerland. So this year was basically about living in my body, mm. you know, so I like, I like to call it the year of somatic living, where I'm not so much in my brain, because for my whole life that's how I felt like I was just kind of living up here, you know, so cognitive, living in my body. And again, when you do that, you kind of, 
You get in tune to subtleties that you didn't know, you know, when, you, when you're quiet, you get in tune to what your body really needs. You get in tune to subtle kind of messages that your body's giving you. And there were some moments when I was living in Dubai that I felt like I was kind of coming on a down and I needed something to pick me up and I wasn't sure what it was. So when you're quiet and kind of listening to those things, your body sends you those messages. And I knew for me, I needed to be out of nature. I needed to be quiet. I needed to disconnect from things. I didn't need to be surrounded by so many people all the time. Um, and that's what I wanted to do for this year. And I wanted to give space to that kind of stuff. Um, and I didn't always have every month planned out. And I was just allowing things to like happen organically. And it was an incredible year of just being away and being in nature and being disconnected. And yeah, you know living somatically. So what's the difference now between the version of you that's here and the version of you that was 12 months ago? Well, I'm so much more calmer, I think. I feel like I've always had this... First, I've always had this craving to kind of do certain things. I've always had these visions of going kiteboarding in the middle of nowhere. I was craving it so badly. And then, of course, I had things like on my bucket list, you know, going to New Zealand or going to Banff. They were on my bucket list. Um, I wanted to spend time just quiet. Um, so I did this amazing hiking trip as well in the Faroe Islands, middle of nowhere, untouched. And that was literally me and another girlfriend. And whenever we saw a person, it was like, oh, there's a human. Mm. It was, that's how like untouched this place is. <laughs> and so having all of that and having so much of that in your life over one year, you just kind of get quiet and you calm down a lot. And if you know me, and you know a lot of my friends know this about me or my family, I vibrate at a high frequency. So I'm kind of like, I'm always thinking, my mind's always switched on, I'm multitasking. You might think I have a calm demeanor, but I'm always kind of moving. Yeah. Even if I'm sitting still, something's going on in my mind. Um, so yoga, of course, helps with that. But this year of just kind of being still, being quiet, not so connected, has helped me calm down so much. I've learned a lot as well, so that's helped me a lot in my yoga practice, my personal practice as well as teaching. I'm finding that um, when you do these kinds of, when you engage in these kinds of experiences and you feel like you've grown as a person and you've overcome certain challenges, because some of these teacher trainings, yes, they're an opportunity for you to learn, but they're also crazy challenging um, experiences as well. And if you've overcome them, you grow as a person and you bring that to your teaching. So I find that, okay, I might not be exponentially better at being a yoga teacher, but I feel like I've, I've brought a new energy to like certain classes or um, certain people who are now maybe connecting with me differently. Um, what else? Yeah, I think just calmer. Um, I'm not craving, um, yeah, there's a certain kind of craving that's calmed down a little bit. I was craving knowledge and now that I feel like especially with the teacher training you know the teacher trainings I've done I've got a lot of knowledge okay again there's so much more room for growth and for learning and Keith knows this about me I'm always asking him for the latest workshops in anatomy or pelvic floor or scoliosis or whatever so there's always room for knowledge but I felt like I was in a place a year ago where I was craving that knowledge I felt like there was there was a deficit in what I was in what I learned and I needed to kind of fill that gap. Now I felt like I feel like I've learned so much and now I can just kind of sit down and allow these lessons to resonate a little bit or just kind of transpire. So that has calmed down a lot. Um, it's like, you know, doing a master's or doing an education and like you have that training and now you can just let that stuff settle yeah. and allow it to digest and manifest. So that's where I am now, for sure. Um, yeah, that's the difference between just the knowing stuff and being wise to it, you know, and it's kind of like what the point I was making with the, the PT people where they, they have all this stuff and they, they want to know more and it almost gets to a point where you start getting arrogant because then the stuff that you do know, you start getting arrogant about it. Like, oh, well, this must be the right way because now I've got it in this mind and then, you know, you it becomes like a accumulating knowledge for knowledge's sake, whereas, yeah, certainly when you reach a certain point, as you say, you just let it settle and it's like, okay. Exactly. Half the stuff that I know, probably will never use, but every now and then I'll sort of pick bits out of it, but yeah. you, you just start to see it all from a much bigger picture in the end, I think. Exactly, and you can't just stuff the mind or the body with all this knowledge. You have to like allow things to settle down and see how you can 
bring it into your life, into your practice, into your teaching. You know, I could easily go and do a 500 level um, yoga course. Yeah. That would be my next level. But I know I'm not ready for it. I need to allow the lessons of the past year or two or ten. I've been practicing yoga for almost ten years now. To just kind of settle into where I am now. Um, what's, the, what's the 500 you have to do? So it's kind of like if you were to compare it to school or college. You have undergrad and you have masters, let's say. So 200 level is the undergrad. And then you do another 300 hour, which will which would be the masters. And that totals to 500 hours. And then you have other classes you can do. So I did a, a 65 hour yin teacher training. You can do 100 hour. Um, a teacher that I know just did a 600 hour yoga universal teacher training. That's what it's called, if I'm not mistaken. So you, do you so teach add on for that many hours? You don't teach. You, you train. The teacher training uh-huh. is 300 hours. So my 200 hour was about a month. So if you do the 300 hours, it's like a month and a half. And then you're certified 300 hours or 500. If you've done two or three. Where does that get you on the yoga teacher scale? So you, you're certified as 500 hours. That's just much more, you have a higher degree of certification. And obviously, you have more hours under your belt of training. Right, okay. So I could do that, you know, but I'm, I know I'm not ready for it yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the education's good, but I was, there's a nice little saying, I can't remember who said it. But he was. Uh, he said that at school you think you know everything. It when you go and do an undergrad, you realize you know nothing. Yes. And then when you go into postgrad, you re- still know nothing, but you know that nobody else knows anything either. Yeah. Do you know? So there's like a, there's a calmness that comes down. Then mm-hmm. that was certainly my experience doing the masters in the sense that we would learn about physiology and stuff. But the guys who were teaching us were were like the the dudes who wrote the textbooks, and they were like, look we have no idea about half of this stuff. Like, we think we know and we're making guesses, but ultimately, we don't know. And so you just got to go out and you got to experience things and you got to test things out, but just let the experience guide you rather than kind of the textbook stuff. Yeah. Like, don't get caught on this because this is all going to change very, very quickly every sort of few years. So relax. That's key. Let the experience guide you. Yeah. And that's what I wanted that year to be about. If I didn't have any kind of ties or crazy routines that were locking me in, on a daily basis, which I was, okay, I might be, at one point I was working part-time, so I had a little bit of wiggle room, yeah. but still I was kind of locked into this thing, I wasn't letting like, any experience guide me into anything, nothing was flowing, I was locked in, but once you allow an experience to guide you, you'd be surprised and amazed as to where that can take you, which is also why I was really kind of, it was really important for me to not have the whole year planned out, I left a lot of space for organic kind of development. Um, and yeah, when you're kind of in tune to certain things and you're quiet, you'll be surprised about how much your being, your body, whether you're dealing with an injury or you're not being able to sleep at night or you're feeling a bit low or depressed or whatever, when you're quiet and you take two seconds, two minutes, two hours uh, in your day to just kind of get in tune to what's going on, you'll be surprised as to how intelligent your systems are into guiding you as to what you need. And at that point in my life, living in my body is exactly what I needed. I think it has something to do with the way I was raised. Like growing up in Switzerland, um, I lived in the mountains. I mean, it wasn't a big city. I was always hiking, it was part of school. Every morning we had a morning meditation. And I'm talking about 12 years old, 13 years old, every day we had to sit still. And of course, being really young, I used to hate this stuff, we all did. But now looking back, all of us, all of my friends were like, wow. The expeditions we did, which were the hikes, we used to hate it. We wanted to go party in Geneva or in whatever city, you know and like get drunk and like have fun sure. but looking back we now appreciate the meditations and the expeditions that we were forced to do and how much it impacted our well-being because you know you guys know this obviously you, you're body workers you work in this industry well-being is a holistic thing yeah, sure. right it's not just i'm strong now and okay i'll be fine it's a holistic thing so so yeah i think because of the way, you know, the upbringing I had and that kind of those experiences at such a young age, last year I was having that knock on the door. My being was kind of knocking on the door saying, listen, if you continue this way, getting stuck in this kind of routine, you're not giving space for your body or for your mind to calm down or to be in nature, you're going you're gonna to go slowly, like I was going down. I yeah. hit like rock bottom. Maybe there were moments where I felt like I did, but you need to wake up and do something about it, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the, the nature thing is an interesting one. And I, I've been thinking about it a lot lately just because mm. I'm, I'm doing a talk next, not this weekend, next weekend. And this is kind of going to be somewhat of my point, well, actually central to my point, the idea yeah. that uh, 
we see ourselves as human beings like we're kind of a boat sailing on the sea rather than understanding that we are part of the sea itself yeah you know? exactly and so we we create these kind of rectangle boxes that we sort of live in and then we have another rectangle box that we go and work in right and the problem is that and we then go into another rectangle box that we train in and the problem is that it then only enhances the illusion that we're separate from everybody else exactly and so then we start saying well I need work life balance and it's like there is no work and there is no life there is just there's life. you and there's a life and you are as much a part of the environment as anything else as the wind the sea and it, and it sounds all very philosophical until you actually read like the academic peer-reviewed research that would back it up and mm -hmm. it's uh, you know spending time in the heat in the sun yeah. or being exposed to uh, different social environments that fundamentally changes your physiology like and to the extent that if you were to really sort of use the heat and enhance it and be quite strategic with it, you can get a lot of the same benefits that a typical endurance session or weight training session would. Absolutely. Now, that's not necessarily going to last forever, and it's not necessarily going to get you jacked like a bodybuilder, but mm -hmm. if you were somebody uh, like yourself or like you were, where you were in a position where you were completely sort of disconnected from everything, you're unhealthy or depressed, uh, you, you just, there's that kind of sense of lack of control. Then these little exposures to the environment, it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be as simple as just go outside for an hour a week. Okay, yeah. Don't wear the sun cream unless you're going to burn like crazy, but just let, let the sun touch you and you know, just go in the water, go in the sand, go whatever else. Uh, and a lot of things happen physiologically that will alter the way that in which you think, it will alter the way in which you feel, uh, right down to sort of the molecular level. You know? Absolutely. And I, man, I've been reading a book about, it's called The Body Electric. Uh, and it was written by a guy back in the 60s. He was a bit of an out there crazy scientist dude, where he was trying to find kind of a basic um, electrical current of the body that essentially gave it life, almost in a Frankenstein sort of way. Mm -hmm. And he started doing all these crazy experiments. And a lot of it was sort of misconstrued. The, the book's been reprinted now because suddenly it's come to pass that actually he was right about a lot of what he said. Mm -hmm. But he was even able to manipulate the, the uh, formation of collagen and bone using electrical currents and things and a lot of the people that he met along the way like he, he tells it such a beautiful story rather than like kind of a here are a series of experiments it's kind of like here is my story through academia and these are the people that I met who were doing all these different things but he was uh, a colleague of his I hope I get this right saying that even just the electromagnetism of the earth kind of fundamentally alters you and when you go into different environments and you're sort of blocked from that, whether it's through buildings or it's exactly. you're surrounded by other electrical things. Uh, and the example he gave, because he's working for the Soviet space program at the mm -hmm. time, and you're saying, like, look, if you, you've got this problem where all these astronauts are getting sick and they're, they're atrophying and they're having all these crazy problems, he developed a little... Um, it's like a magnet wrist thing that they could wear that would basically be on the same frequency as the magnetism. Yeah, I'm destroying this and butchering it, I'm sure, no, no, if I got no. the book out. But the, the point is, is that you are so heavily ingrained in the environment that to remove yourself in any significant way is mm -hmm. to your serious detriment. And like this is the reason, I think, why everybody's obese and depressed and anxious and having all these weird things happen to them because you've just completely removed yourself from, from what you are. You, know? you hit the nail on the head. I mean... If I really kind of deconstruct everything I just said to you and come down, come back down to the basics of what I really wanted for this year, I wanted to walk around barefoot. Yeah. I wanted to breathe. I'm not breathing. Whenever I'm in a car park going to Dubai Mall or even in Dubai Mall or in Fitness HQ, there's a scent in the air of either the exhaust of a car, perfume in the mall, or the gym. Yeah. I'm not breathing. I'm holding my breath. And because of the yoga practice that I have, I know how much deeper I can breathe and how important it is to really breathe. Yeah. And it sounds crazy, but it's true. I wanted to swim in clean water. I wanted to walk barefoot. I wanted to just do these basic things because I was going through also a kind of health thing, nothing too serious, but Keith and I spoke about it a bit that that's actually causing more stress to my nervous system sure. than anything else. So when I was quiet, my body's like, you're gonna heal when you go to Mauritius and go kite surfing and just hang out don't worry about what you're eating and supplementing and medicating and like just relax, you know? So again, not everyone might be so like kind of compulsive or um, controlling or um, 
nervous about these things, but mm. it's been a long time coming for me that I've been kind of educated in the world of supplements and health and nutrition and testing myself. Like I do blood tests regularly once or twice a year. So after doing this for so long, and a lot of people are doing this, but they're always nervous about, you know, getting the right nutrients in so that they can pump up or be stronger or have perfect hormone results or whatever. Sure. So, you know, so not everyone might be so kind of controlling about it or, or kind of um, worried about it, but there are a lot of people like that. And I'm, I was one of them. But once I just stripped it all away and I just relaxed and I was just in nature and just eating clean and just kite surfing, okay, you don't get cured, you know, being in Mauritius for two weeks, but everything felt calmer and relaxed and better. And like when I was feeling, you know, not good in my kind of gut, that stuff calmed down as well. I was feeling acidic sometimes, I was feeling bloated, all that stuff calmed down. We're going to have to, on that note, we're going to have to leave it there. I've got to wrap this up. Um, we could talk about this forever. Um, we'll talk again about Matt's talk in a couple of weeks. We'll go into a bit of detail on this then. And then I just didn't want Matt to go off on a stress thing because we could have had done another hour oh, and a yeah, half on this sure. again. So, yeah, that's cool. Thank you very much, Alia. Um, what's next for you? What's on the horizon? What have you happening? Well, I'm back in Dubai, settling down here again, back at work, teaching. Uh, we're still doing our bro yoga classes. Yeah. And when yeah. do you do them? They, you don't have a set schedule, right? It just tends Not to be so whenever. much. It's, it's going to move once the weather gets a bit better. But go on the Instagram. It's bro yoga underscore DXB. Mm-hmm. Have a little look and see. And you can contact Alia there. Um, yeah, daytime class. Yeah, we'll, we'll fix, once, it, once it picks up a little bit, we'll, we'll, we'll play around with all that kind of stuff. But yeah, cool. We've got a lot more in the can, so we'll be back quite soon. Um, Matt, do you have anything to add? Yeah, no. Cool. All right, Alia, thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you so much. See you guys. Bye-bye.